Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to episode three of season six of This Spiritual Fix. Today, we are continuing our money wound episodes and series. Today, Anna is going to be talking more in depth about Ken Honda's course and how you can look at the different money archetypes within you. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wiltsey. Hey, Christina Wiltsey. Hello, Anna Stromquist. You ready for Money Wound Part 3? I am so psyched. You have been psyching me up for days about this and I'm oh, really no. excited about I hope it. I, I hope I don't disappoint. You never disappoint. You never disappoint. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I know how hard you've worked on this. So I'm like, I'm super excited to, to just hear your brain thoughts, you know? Yeah. If you tuned in and listened to Money Wound Part 2, we had Leanne with the Galela Collective and it was beautiful and amazing, but for a lot of listeners, it might've been a little too esoteric. So we're going to go into a little more of a like step-by-step how to heal your money wound process today. Which is so awesome, especially if I'm the guinea pig. I'm so uh, like, I was looking at your outline and I was like, oh, I get to be the guinea pig. (laughs) Mm, You get to be the guinea pig today. And and so will our listeners. Yes, exactly. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I wanted to share Prelude today. It was interesting. It was a moment I had a couple of days ago and I think I like texted you about it a little bit, Anna, but I didn't really like tell you the full realization of everything that I had. So, you know, the, somebody at our retreat said the official title of the like immortal many lives idea that this idea that, and you often see it in Link Glitch and the matrix stories and things like that, where like somebody obviously died and then suddenly they find themselves in a start over, like a do-over kind of like a final destination situation, right? Where they like go through an entire accident and they should have died or they were like, I am certain I'm going to die. And then all of a sudden they don't find themselves in that situation. They're just like, okay, I'm, I've somehow jumped over to another timeline And I left that timeline because the idea of this theory is that we are all immortal and we just jump through different experiences. 
which kind of would make someone feel really good about the nature of the world is like, hey, guess what? Like you chose to incarnate and there's no such thing as like an early death. You know what I mean? There's like no such thing as like being taken out before your time. Like you're totally within kind of bounds of control. And so if you ever go into a life-threatening situation or a dangerous situation and you end up quote unquote dying, you actually just end up jumping to a different timeline. It always makes me feel yeah. good about, cause I watch, I've been watching a lot of spy stuff recently, old episodes of Alias. And I always think about like those poor guards who are always getting shot in those shows. And like, I know it's not probably reality, but I'm just like, those poor guards have families. Like, and everyone just, you know, we're kind of happy that they got shot because they're not getting in, in the way of the hero. And then it just makes me sad. And then I'm just like, oh, maybe they just jumped over to a different timeline. It's okay. You know, where they remember to wear a bulletproof vest. <laughs> but <laughs> Anna's looking at me like, and your point. <laughs> And so, no, I'm just laughing <laughs> quietly to myself. That was my projecting on Anna to the, about Christina get to the point. Anyway, it was funny because I was listening to one of these stories. We were sending each other glitch in the matrix stories from the subreddit the other day. And I read this one and I don't know what it was that triggered in me the realization that I had had one of these experiences. The one of the realizations that I had had the experience of dying and then jumping into a different timeline because I literally just was like that that can't possibly be the case like I don't remember anything really big happening but what what was the memory that came to me was I remember very clearly I I'm and I'm okay with telling this because yeah I just am I was in, I was a teenager and I went to Amsterdam with a guy that I was dating at the time and we were like okay we're gonna take mushrooms and we're gonna go to the Van Gogh Museum and we're gonna just like have a great time and the guy was like, who sold us mushrooms was like, you know, it was in a store there because it's legal or it was legal back then. And he said, it's a really hot day. And this is a lot like these are really, really strong. And I was like, I'm good. We were both like, we're fine. It's not hot. It'll be okay. So we take these mushrooms and we walk into the Van Gogh Museum. And I think I, I think I lasted until I got to the bathroom after buying the tickets before I could barely even function in the bathroom. Like I was literally just like, tripping so hard and so I like walk into the main part of this museum and the the actual artwork itself was so unsettling for me like I was just like moving with it and everything was just going so crazy that I ended up I just remember this moment so well like I ended up just looking at the center of the rotunda and if you've ever been in the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam like it, or, or this is how it was like 20 years ago there's like this big open thing and there's like a fountain in the center of it. Right. So it's like, it, there's like a courtyard and nobody's in the courtyard and the whole museum kind of goes around the center courtyard. And I remember just being so tripped out by the pictures themselves that I like turned and looked at the rotunda because that was more calming to me was like to watch the water just like lapping. And then it was so funny because I, apparently I was staring so intently at it that like other people came thinking that there was some sort of artwork in the center because people started coming and standing next to me. And it was just like hilarious. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I like, we ended up having to leave right away because I just couldn't handle myself. And I think that my partner at the time, like kind of took on more of a rescuer thing of like, you know, when you're both having these crazy experiences and like one person doesn't handle it better, like one person kind of steps in as that rescuer. And so we went and laid in a park for a couple of hours. And then eventually I was like, I just really want to go home to our hotel. 
And, you know, we took a cab in Amsterdam, which is like absolutely impossible to the fact where the guy was like, why are you taking a cab? Like, we couldn't even get a cab because someone was like, you're literally like 10 minutes, like a 10 minute tram away. Why would you take a cab? But I was like, I have to take a cab. So getting to the point of this, I remember being inside of this hotel room and I remember the experience of losing identity. Like, I remember the experience of seeing very clearly that there was this choice, there was this place I could have gone. And if I had gone to that place, then I would have lost my identity and never come back. Right. And during that trip, I remember so many like grand pieces of wisdom during that trip, but I remember choosing not to go. I remember in this timeline, I chose not to go into that place of total loss of identity. And so the other day I was thinking about this experience and I realized that the version of me that was actually in that timeline did choose to go and lose identity and basically died in that hotel room. And the thing that I like was thinking back on was that when we came back from this trip, the partner I was with was like acting very differently than he had the entire time that I had known him. I'd only known him for like two or three months beforehand, but he like completely changed his, his like demeanor after that. And I don't know if he had had some sort of experience in this trip, which could have explained it, but there were a couple of things that were really key, including like the way that I behaved in the world, like how my family treated me. There was a couple of like very key things that were different. That makes me believe that I jumped into a different timeline, but it also helped me recognize that for me, whether it was an ego death, which some people may explain it and they may say that this isn't, you know, this isn't that kind of many lives. And I actually died. But it made me realize how important identity was to my sense of self. And I feel like when I was looking at your notes for this, Anna, I was like, I think that for me, money is connected to control. It's like more of a much more of an expression of my father wound than my mother wound. So because of the fact that identity and like power and control, that was where I had to go to in order to like to like leave the body. So for me, I feel like I have a lot of stuff around that. And so that's why I kind of like was linking it back to what you are going to be talking was this like crazy realization. I wonder if you guys want to write us and tell us if anyone else has had an experience or me telling you this as remember that you also had a similar experience. Like I'm super curious, but that was my, that was my thought. Yeah. One of the things that we were sharing in the glitches in the matrix was this guy who like was helping his neighbor move a a huge armoire and it fell on him and killed him. And then at the moment it killed him, he woke up and he was back on his couch and his neighbor was calling him to ask if he'd come over and help move furniture. He's like, dude, he like thinking his head. He's like, dude, I was just there. And that's how I just died. So he shows up and sure enough, the house is exactly as it had been. Although in re- he had never been inside this house before. And the friend who was helping was he like, he recognized the friend from 10 minutes ago when that friend was there to help move. And he's like, whatever we do, I'm not going to be helping you move an armoire. And they're like, how did you even know there was an armoire? And he's like, well, you're not going to believe this, but I literally helped you move it 10 minutes ago and died. And now we're in a different dimension. And there's a great movie with Jason Siegel and Robert Redford that goes totally all into this. It's called The Discovery. Really? Yeah. How I'm going to put it in the show notes. That? Oh my God. Definitely put that in the show notes. That's Yeah. That's... I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix even. And it's got Rooney Mora. What's her name? Rooney Mara. Yeah. And it's got Rooney Mara in it too. Yeah. I think that's her name. We may be butchering that but that's that's so cool that's it's really all about cool. that mm-hmm. yeah 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 what do they call it the it's an immortal quantum Im- immortality that's ah. what it's called it's called quantum immortality and you know i have to say that i like 
I kind of enjoy this. I, somebody once went down this like path of logic that was like, if we were immortal beings staying totally in line with what the Galela collective said last week, like if we are immortal beings, then the experience of life is the creation. It's like the creative experiment. Right. And, and if we're immortal beings who experience this love and this, you know, this ultimate experience of oneness, wouldn't it be a really fun VR or game of some sort to come into this human creation and just like create as much as possible and be able to realize that existence in your real embodied self, you know, and in doing so you're able to just switch between lives. And that seems pretty cool to me. I like that. It, it kind of placates fears of death. In other words, like it just makes you feel like it feels right. Nice. Yes. Well, Moving into Money Moon Part 3, would you be willing to give us like your your summaries or major takeaways from the first Money Moon episode and then the second one? Yeah, absolutely. So the archetypes of the Money Moon. The first one that Anna channeled was the poor little rich girl. The pro of that is abundance. The con of that is entitlement. Like I deserve to have abundance. And even if that abundance is only coming to me, I deserve it. The second is the Scrooge which is the pro is abundance, but the con is scarcity as in like not willing to share it with anybody else and feeling as if you don't have enough. The next is the oblivious widow and the oblivious widow was the pro was that it was abundance, but the con was that they were just kind of ignorant of their ab abundance. So it wasn't that they were actively going into a place of scarcity or that they actively believed that they were entitled to have their abundance, but they were just like standing in a space of ignorance. The careless spirit the pro is just this idea that they, they live in a place of, of abundance, but the con is that, is that they're reckless, right? That they're basically like, they're kind of in a place where they're, it's, it goes beyond ignorance towards reckless. And then the Cinderella is kind of different from those in some ways, because the pro of the Cinderella is that there's a lot of humility, but the con is that they experience a lot of scarcity as a result of it. And I remember that the main kind of experience that I had of those archetypes was recognizing that there was a part of me that kind of had a Scrooge mentality. And I remember I talked to Eric, who's been on the show, Eric Stromquist being Anna's husband, and that you talked to him after that episode. And he was like, you should just give away a dollar a day, right? As a way of being able to experience to kind of counteract the Scrooge. And so I've been doing something along those lines since that last episode, which has been a really nice thing. And then I think the thing that I- Oh, enjoy... I didn't know he told you to do that. Yeah, you told me. You told me he told me to do that or something like oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah. God, there's more... <laughs> I must have died and there's a new timeline. <laughs> um, the Galela Collective was kind of, it was, I think the thing that I took away from that, there was a lot of things I took away from that. I really enjoyed just the experience of the Galela Collective and the experience of reasserting what I already believed, which is that, or, you know, have experienced, which is that life is kind of a creation play and we are welcome to come into it in whatever way we want to. The, my two favorite things that I took away, one was this understanding of the light worker money wound and the kind of experience of like knowing that that's a very common thing that there's this idea that that the kind of poor 
conscious person is better than the rich conscious person because we automatically assume that the rich conscious person is not actually conscious, right? Because just because they have money, then they must not kind of, they must be corrupt in some ways. And so I've been kind of addressing that in myself since that interview. The second thing that I took away from that was this idea that it is actually better for people who are living as much as they can in their integrated self to have money as opposed to those who aren't living in their necessarily most integrated self. Like if you're, if you have a strong and solid foundation of self-love and if you're taking that, that perspective and you're saying, I love myself and I'm ready to come into the abundance of the world. And I trust, I trust myself and love myself and know that I'm not going to necessarily become quote unquote corrupt in that effort then I'm just going to start to go with the flow of life. Uh, and it's just the natural state of it. So those are the two main things that I came from the Galela Collective. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for the summary. And of course, we'll have the links to those episodes in the show notes, but thanks for the summary. Yeah. I thought like the biggest takeaway I got from, from that episode with the Galela Collective was that energy, you can't compartment, you can't compartmentalize energy. And if you're experiencing blocks in one place, it will show up in others. And we've touched on that before, but I just really liked how they presented it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to talk now about healing the money wound, and I'm going to go back to the course that I just finished by Ken Honda, which is called Money EQ, Money Emotional Intelligence. It's on Mind Valley, And I'm going to just go over... The, the course is really, really good. And it was funny because I, I didn't think it was so amazing the first week because the first week was just kind of slow, but it's a three-week course. It, of course, it took me like nine months to take, but the last two weeks of it were really awesome. So the Ken Honda course is called Money EQ. It's on Mind Valley, And we talked in episode one of this series a little bit about his archetypes or money types, but I'm going to talk a little bit about them now and, and, and talk about how they reflect a need. So if you listen to the money wound episode with Leanne and the Galayla collective, they talk a lot about how, what you want money for is reflecting a need, right? Like, do you need, you need, maybe it's your soul's need to create, maybe it's your soul's need to travel, et cetera, et cetera. So he breaks down the different money types and he looks at them in terms of what are the emotional needs. He categorizes money types into three different categories. We have the people who are control-based, the people who are indifferent, and then the people who are fear-based, okay? So within the construct of control-based, there's three different types, the saver, the spender, and the money maker. So the saver loves saving money. You give some a saver money, what are they gonna do with it? They're gonna save it. What is their need? They have a need for control and they need to feel safe and secure. So usually these are people who might've grown up in poverty or they saw their parents struggle or people in their community struggle, struggle or they experienced a loss of security in their childhood. And so that's why they save. It makes them feel secure. Their strength is that they can create security, right? And their weakness is that they don't necessarily connect with others or necessarily have fun because they're constantly in like, like, let me get the best deal out of things. Let me save, let me not spend money. Let me not spend energy. Let me just, you know, 
So they, they often will marry a spender, by the way, because they need more fun in their life and to balance out the world, savers and spenders usually end up together. Then we have the second control type is the spender. They love spending money. You give a spender money, they're going to spend it. They have a need for control. It's a control-based one and they need enjoyment. Okay. They, they feel a lot of joy spending their money. We all know these people, right? That they just take great joy and, and, <laughs> and, and paying for everyone's dinner or, or taking family out for whatever, you know yeah. what I'm talking Yeah. So their strength is they trust life and they go with the flow and their weakness is they can exhaust themselves. They can get out of balance and they can go, go, go without being able to stop. So they can be addictive and what they need is more stability, which is why they usually end up with the savers, right? Then the third type is the moneymaker. You give them money, they're going to flip it and turn it into more money. They have a need for control and a need for creation. Their strength is that they're very determined and have great willpower. And their weakness is they can forget about other important things. Like they can just be in like money-making, money-making mode, hire a nanny, hire a housekeeper, completely disconnect from their family because they're, they're such in money-making mode that they forget about enjoying the small things in life, right? Okay, so those were the control types, saver, spender, money-maker. And then we have the indifferent type. The indifferent type, there is only one type. There's only one subcategory and it's the indifferent type. They love to save money, but they don't really care. They have a need to, be, to have flow and they're stress-free. And their strength is that they trust in life and they focus on purpose. And their weakness is that if someone is not taking care of them or supporting them, it can lead to problems. The example he gave is how he had a friend who was in the indifferent type. And when the friend's wife died, the guy spent a few months just trying to figure out how to pay the mortgage and how to pay his bills and like where the accounts were. And listening to the story, I realized that I, in a lot of ways, am the indifferent type because I don't know how much our mortgage is. I don't know where the mortgage is being paid from. Like if my husband died tomorrow, I would be in the, that situation of like needing three or four months just to figure out where everything is and how everything needs to get paid. So I recognize that with the exception of my student loans, which is the worrier type, which we'll get to, I, I am the indifferent type. And um, so you can be multiple ones. He doesn't say that, but I, I feel like I am because- I'm very indifferent. I'm very like out of the loop, yeah. you know, and it's not just because he is the breadwinner because I know plenty of relationships where one spouse is the breadwinner, but the other spouse knows exactly how much everything is being paid. Right. Like I'm just completely indifferent to it. Right. All right. The next type is the fear base. So here we have four different fear based ones. The first one is the hippie or the monk. And these people believe fundamentally that money is bad. Money is the root of all evil. They try to live a very stoic life. Like they purposely shop at Goodwill and they purposely, you know, roll their eyes at rich people. And they think that they're better than the rich because that they are the quote hippie or the monk. Their need base is fear. Their strength is that they often have a larger purpose and they're humanitarian, but their weakness is they are disconnected from a lot of reality and they don't have the resources to follow their dreams. So they, they basically talk shit about the rich and talk shit about people who make money. And yet they are jealous of the, or don't even allow themselves the freedom to make certain choices because they're so locked into their hippie or monk mentality. 
The second fear-based type is the saver slash splurger. So this is different than the spender or the saver in that they save up for a long period of time and then spend it all. And then they're like back, back to ground zero. They have their need base is fear. Their strength is flexibility and their weakness is guilt and shame. Because when they do this, it's often the aftermath of this is often guilt and shame. Then we have the worrier type and this type, no matter how much money they have, they are always worrying about money. And this is interesting because I saw an interview with Will Smith, you know, the Prince of the Prince of Bel-Air. And he said that he is no different now than he in like now that he's a multimillionaire than he was in his early 20s before his career took off. He still spends X amount of hours lying in bed worrying about money. You know, I thought that was interesting. Wow. I also think it's amazing that you refer to him as the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, where that's like, that is like something he did, but he's like this me- mega m- movie star. And I know, like, but guys, that's... did you know who this guy is? The guy who like- The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Well, yeah. <laughs> West Philadelphia, born and raised. Okay, I just, <laughs> I, I grew up on him, you know, so. All right. No, I love that. So that's the worrier. Their strength is, is that they see problems before everybody else. Their, their weakness is they're paralyzed with fear and they don't take risks. Then the last one is the gambler. This is another fear-based one. They take big risks with their money and they have a, they're, so they're, you know, there's someone who's going to invest everything in a restaurant or put everything in the stock market or, you know, I guess lose it all in a poker game. And their strength is that they are willing to take risks and they're open to possibilities and they're very, you know, optimistic and their weaknesses, they can be super risky and they can lose a lot in the thrill of the hunt. Okay. Now, when you are going through these money types, the teacher Ken Honda says it's very likely that with the exception of the indifferent one, like all the other ones, actually, I did even feel a little bit of shame with the indifferent one. I'm like, damn, I need to like, I need to like know more, you know, but everyone reading this is going to have like either a shame or a guilt feeling being like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm a saver. Or you might have a holier than thou, like, at least I'm not a Blender. I'm a saver. I'm so secure. So like you, you might have an emotional reaction learning what t- money type you are. And you might think like you're better than other people because yours is such a good one, or you might be embarrassed by the one you have. And that's okay. Either way, it's, it's okay. And he says that just knowing what these money types are, you can shift. Like, for example, just knowing that I'm indifferent makes me want to be more of a moneymaker. Like I was already strategizing how I can bring in more referrals at my job and then like talk to my husband and just find out more like how much is our mortgage? Like, how are you paying it? (laughs) Like, like, you know, where's this Georgia power bill? And like what, you know, I'm, I'm just like totally floating by, you know, just by knowing things, you can change them. And he talks about how like one woman in his class was a saver and she would always show up to the class, like in frumpy gray clothes and whatever. And then like, after she learned what her money type was, she came back to the next class and she was looking gorgeous and her hair was all cut and she's wearing like the newest fashion. And she's like, after I realized I was a saver, I said, I wanted to play around with the money types. Now I'm a spender. So it's really cute. Like you can just kind of like, when you know what you, you are, you can kind of play around with them. So is the, is the trick moderation then? Like, cause it feels like there isn't one that we're all aspiring to. It's not like a range of like, this is the best one. And this is, is it like, is the trick like to not be too, like with so many things that we do to not be too far into one category? 
Like, I think he doesn't really go into that, but I would say that it, with anything, there is no good or bad, but stuck is stuck. Right. So, so like, you know, being flexible according to the chapter of your life, like, what do you want to be? And then another really important thing to mention with these money types is to recognize what your partner is, because your partner is usually not the one that you are. And a lot of problems, you know, they say that in relationships, the thing people fight about most are sex, money, and food or housework. What is it? Children? I don't Children? I don't know. There, there's like the top three things people yeah. fight about. And I know, I know that two of them are sex and money. <laughs> I don't know what the third one is, but it's good to know like what your partner is because you might think your partner's stupid, but they're really not stupid. They're just have a different money type, you know, and, and you might think your partner is, is reckless, but it's just because they have a different money type. And the thing to understand about money types is they all originate in childhood. So for example, only children, like the indifferent type are often coming from a family where they were an only child or that they did escapism in order to avoid different family stuff going on. They would just do escapism. And then like the saver type grew up with a lot of instability. So they need to save to feel stable. And then the spender also might've grown up with a lot of instability, but they wanted to feel joy and like have the things their friends had. So just kind of understanding the origination of why your partner is the type they are can give a lot of compassion when you're having financial disagreements. So he talks a lot about that. Yeah, I can see that for sure. All right. So the next thing I want to talk about is actually not in the Ken Honda course. It's just something that I channeled, which was from Archangel Michael, which were the different archetypes that he came up with, which were, as Christina said, the poor little rich girl, Cinderella, Scrooge, the oblivious widower, and the careless spirit. And so if you go back to previous episodes, which we'll link in the show notes, you can do an exercise called Feed Your Demon. And basically you conjure up, and if you're artistic, you could imagine what they look like, but you can conjure up these demons that represent these different demonic entities and have a conversation with them and feed them. So for example, if you really identify with the poor little rich girl archetype, you might want to have a conversation and feed your entitlement demon or your ignorance demon. Cinderella, you would want to feed the ignorance demon. Scrooge, it would be the scarcity demon or the ignorant demon, the oblivious widower, the ignorance demon, the careless spirit, the ignorance demon, and so, so on and so forth. So you could conjure up these archetypes or the demons in themselves of either ignorance, entitlement, or scarcity and feed them to understand like what's motive, what are, what is motivating these things in you? Like, like what is, how are you, how are these aspects of yourself needing to be fed? Like what's the motivation behind that? Cool. Very cool. Okay. Are you, gonna ask, right. are you gonna ask me what I am later? Oh, do you want oh, oh of the thing? Yeah, of Ken Honda's ones. Okay. So of Ken Honda ones, I don't know if you've taken the test. Have you taken the test? I haven't taken the test, but I can I guess what I am? I think you're a mix of two, but go ahead. What do you think you are? Well, no, I want to hear what you have. Uh, well, I'll, I'll say first what I think I am. I think that I fluctuate between being a hippie and a saver splurger. Okay. I was thinking you were a mixture between the saver and the hippie. Right. I don't, I've never seen you splurge. So that's probably why. Yeah. I, my splurges are really small. My splurges are like, I'm going to go spend like a hundred dollars 
on some online website. And I think that that's splurging. So I probably am a saver, which is funny because compared to my husband, I am like the spender, right? You know, because I'm always just like, but I also grew up in a mentality where it was like, your time is so much more valuable than your money. So like, you know what I mean? Like compared to my husband who has the opposite, which is like, he's willing to like sacrifice his time, time, but not his money, especially since we can do a lot of things. Like we're quite handy people. And so we're like, oh, well we can just do it. And it's like, well, actually it just feels so much better to pay somebody else who's an expert in it, or just so that we don't have to do it and we don't have to problem solve it. If the first solution doesn't go right. Like, so yeah, it's interesting that you said I'm a saver. Um, definitely got the hippie in there though definitely mm -hmm. working on that one, but yeah, cool. I'll, I'll take the quiz. Returning to the Ken Honda course, he says that money cannot heal your essential needs for these five things. So a lot of people mistake money as being a way to heal this security, power, significance, freedom, and love. You can't, you can't buy any of those things with money, right? And right. not having money and not having money doesn't necessarily mean that you are denied security, power, significance, freedom, or love, right? So Christine, I wanted to ask you if someone wanted to tackle these five needs, what, what would be a great way they could do that with IFS? I think using IFS as an example for how to deal with those specific things, I think we have so many different methods on the podcast that even we've covered I've come up with new things when I work with the people that I'm with for how you do it. But one of the things that would be good to kind of recognize is to say, is to, to go into a meditation and be like, which one of these is the most important. And then once you, you figure out which one is the most important, there's usually, if the thesis is security is my problem, like I don't ever feel secure unless I do this or this or this, like if, if that's it, then going back to the time when you, what, what is the antithesis of that? Like, what is the antithesis experience you had of that? And going back and being like, is there a part who is really invested in security and like never wants to spend any money because of security? Okay. That part is a protector part. They're a manager and they are manage, managing an exile who felt a lack of security because of a lack of money in the past. And so going back to that exile and being like, you know, going into a process either with a therapist or with yourself in the ways that we've kind of described this in the past and saying, where, when did I experience a lack of security and who is that protector protecting? Like who's the exile that that is protector is protecting that probably experienced the antithesis of, of security because of money. So that's how I would kind of go about doing that. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Exactly. And I was thinking if you wanted to be like really thorough, really tackle your money wounds, you could just go step-by-step step through all of them. Just go one by one, you know, like can the, can the part of me that is most invested in security, please step up and have a conversation and then go to power and just kind of go through it systematically. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So another part of Ken Honda's course is he talks about six different ways that your money wound can arise. One is core wounds. So these are events that happened before the age of three. I don't think he talked about this, but we could talk about it in terms of attachment styles, like anxious attachment people are probably most likely to be savers, I would think, right? right. And an avoidant attachment would probably be spenders or indifferent. And, you know, there may or may not be a correlation, but if you go back and understand how early childhood trauma relates to how you 
have attachment bonds with other people, you could understand how early childhood traumas could have could could affect your relationship with money. Like, did you did you have a lot? Did you have a little? Were you constantly, you know, wearing dirty clothes? Were you hungry? You know, things like that are going to affect your relationship with money. Yeah. Another thing could, could be past traumas. Oh, did you want to add to that? Yeah. I wanted to add to that kind of what we were saying earlier in text earlier today was like, you know, I think the attachment wounds, especially if you're looking at those five things, security, power, significance, freedom, and love. I would say that security and love directly relate to the mother wound, which is attachment theory, right? It's like this attachment wound that it, the mother wound is that if you go back to the father wound, I feel like the father wound we talk about, it has a lot to do with power, identity, and worth. And so it directly relates to power, significance, and freedom in Ken Honda's system, right? So in some ways, the work that we've done in the past with the mother and the father wound, I call the father wound kind of like the power wound at this point, because I just feel like it has so much to do with power as the kind of overarching thing, whereas the mother wound is all about attachment wounds. So that's kind of how I would see that relating, if that makes sense. Yes. So then, so he talks about the core wounds and he talks about past trauma. So that could be anything that happened like after the age of three, like maybe your father or mother loses their job or, you know, you see someone at school bullied for not having the, the cool shoes or whatever, just any kind of, or even a divorce or like anything like past traumas would affect your relationship with money. A third one would be family trauma. So things that happened in your family that were traumatic. I know that my paternal grandmother had a lot of money trauma and she told me a lot about it. And I think that's why I have the worrier in me. One thing that happened to my grandmother is she was very wealthy as a child, extremely wealthy with that. Their house was the size of a hotel. It was called the Lehman hotel. And the children had their own chauffeur and had their own nanny. Her parents had their own chauffeur. So she was very wealthy. And then the great depression came, all her dreams were dashed. Like she had wanted to be a school teacher. She wasn't going to be a school teacher anymore. And they went from living in a mansion with multiple servants to I think all five children and their parents lived in like a two bedroom apartment. And she used to tell me over and over and again, like, it is so hard to be poor when you start off rich. <laughs> like, that's what she used to always tell me. I'm like, okay, grandma, like I've never been rich. So I couldn't really relate, but, but that was like one of the laments of her mm -hmm. life was telling me this story about like just how rich she was. And then to go from that to absolutely nothing. Wow. And then um, another family trauma. I'm just giving stories here of like other things that happen is I also have a big fear of being sued. You know, this Chris, like I have a fear of being sued. Like I am super, super careful with all my patients. Like I am so freaking careful. I'm so scared of being sued. And I know another reason why I am is because my grandma's trauma passed, I think in some ways got passed down to me because my grandfather was colorblind. And this was like a long time ago before I guess it was universal from one state to the other to have green, yellow, and red lights, like all in the same order. So he was in, I don't even know where he was. Let's say he was in California and the lights were like green, yellow, red. And then he passed to another, he was now in Arizona and suddenly it's red, yellow, green. So he went at a intersection when he should have stopped, but it was his colorblindness that ruined it. And he ended up hitting a car and being sued. And because of it, they were like, like destitute for eight years paying off this um, court case thing. So, she, and so her whole life was on hold. And like my father is nine years younger than his 
brother. And my dad never knew why. And then I told him about the lawsuit thing. And he was like, oh my God. It's like, he finally came to understand that like my grandma had to wait to have another baby because they were constantly paying off this accident. Wow. And then that made it so that your father had exactly the astrological birth time that he had and like all of the things that are related to that. Well, yeah, it was just like her whole life, her whole, my grandma's whole life changed twice because of events outside her control, you know? Yeah. And, and that's warrior. That's where the warrior trauma comes from. So, so anyways, interesting. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because you, when you're talking about family trauma, I can definitely say that like the experience of my, my grandmother left my, her husband at the time. And it was really interesting because she, she, my, she and my mother left my grandfather when my mother was like six years old, which happened to be the same age that my mother died at, which is always, you know, that irony, right? But it was so interesting because she ended up marrying a wealthy, like he owned a laundromat in Atlanta back in the day. And so she like got a lot of money from him and then she got a lot of, and then once he died, she got a lot of money from her second husband. And it was so interesting because one of the things that like, I remember taking from that experience actually had to do with like the direct experience that I had, but I only realized recently that it was generational was that like, was that she, she always just did not like me. I mean, that was kind of a common thing. I think I must've been hard to get along with, or I just, I just, I just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I rubbed her in a very specifically wrong way. And it was so interesting because I remember thinking like, I remember knowing that I couldn't go to the school that I went to without her paying for the tuition. Cause we like, didn't have anything, but I got to go to a really good school in Atlanta because my grandmother paid for it. But in return, I had to be with somebody who really disliked me and like really treated me poorly. And it was this really fascinating thing that I developed of like thinking that you have to tolerate bad behavior in exchange for money. Right. You know what I mean? In the sense of like this whole idea that like, like, that even there were two things. One is that people who treat you badly can have money, like and people who treat people badly can't have money, which didn't make any sense to me in terms of like the whole way that the universe or karma had to add up. And the second being that like, you know, sometimes you have to like suffer in order to get nice things and good things. And like, you have to like tolerate people who you don't like. And you, it's like a really unpleasant experience to have money. And I feel like that kind of generational experience really affected me and my direct dealings with money. And I wonder too, because I know that my mother had a kind of indifferent thing because she grew up with money and yet all she wanted was love. And so there's like this really interesting dichotomy of like, or not dichotomy, this just this really interesting progression of how money came down that particular side and where it ended up, especially because the thing being that like my mother was indifferent because she had the experience of money. She just wanted love. So she totally just like, didn't care about money, especially when she got sick and she chose to, you know, become an actress. And she was like a theater actress in Atlanta in the eighties. Like that's, you're not going to make a ton of money that way. But the fascinating thing was that she made the decision, even though she knew she was terminally ill, she made the decision to stop paying her life insurance premium, like four months before she died. So basically we would have had the money from her life insurance 
and we didn't get it because she was of this indifferent type, right? Like she didn't know anything as a result of it. Like, or she, she chose to not ask for help with doing it, or maybe she just wasn't capable of doing it. Like whatever happened, like we, you know, not only did we not inherit anything, everything we did inherit had to be sold to pay off her debts because she didn't have any life insurance and she didn't pay in that last four months. And I just like, I always can't help, but think, you know, for one thing, that was a story that was told to me of, of like where I could take on a more control type, I think, because of the fact that, that I, and so I go into that phase every once in a while with my partner, I'll just be like, where's the money? Where's the, this, have we done this? Did we pay this? You know, like this, like total fear that like, if something were to happen, and something, and it wasn't like the other day I went on a trip with him. We went on our anniversary trip and I had this nightmare the morning we were leaving that we hadn't, like, we didn't have an updated will. And I was like, what the fuck happens if we go on this trip? And you know what I mean? Like, it was just this, this fear. It's amazing how that kind of thing happens with money and like, and what t- that pushed me away from being an indifferent type as an example. Yeah. And then another thing he talks about, so we, I said core wounds, past traumas, family traumas is the family beliefs, which is kind of, you segued into that perfectly, but family beliefs are kind of like, what are the family philosophies that you have, that, that a family has? Like, is, does your family value college education over, over entrepreneurship? Does your family, did you hear family members in your, you know, growing up saying things like, money doesn't grow on trees or, oh, that guy's filthy rich. You know, money is dirty, filthy rich. Or, you know, what kind of family thing, family, what kind of beliefs did you hear growing up from your family is, is like another thing that can feed into your wound. Another thing is socialization. Like, as we all know, depending on what, what, you know, you live in the United States, there's a, there's a very, very big push for entrepreneurship and consumerism and capitalism and you go to let's say Asia and it's more about community-based so there's that and then you have culture so despite where you live what society you live in you have your cultural bias so you have you know certain cultures again they 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 praise certain aspects and then they punish others. So one thing that you could do that Ken Honda really recommends is to make a money family tree. So you make a family tree and you write down like what were these what were different family members beliefs and traumas right so like in my family tree so like for example for mine i would put my grandfather and my mother grandmother and like what money type they were and why i believe they were the money type so my grandma was the worrier and she had the the trauma with the the great depression and then my grandfather was a gambler right and he had the lawsuit and then, you know, going down to my father, like, what is my father's money type and who he he married my mother? And then like looking at her parents, what are their money types? What were some of their money beliefs and things like that? And, and it's interesting how you'll see patterns because like, for example, my mother's mother also came from a very wealthy family and her mother got a divorce from the father. And she went to live with her father and her sister went to live with the rich mother. And then she ended up being poor. And my grandmother was a factory worker her whole life on that end. But she had been, so she had a similar story to my maternal grandmother of being born rich and, and, you know, ended up poor. So just, it's just kind of, you'll start to see patterns and it's just interesting. So you can kind of make a money, a money family tree and understand like what were their, what were different family members, money types and why do you think they were the way that they were and you'll, and you'll see patterns. Yeah. Gambler and this and that. 
what do you think if you had to be like, this is my most prevalent money belief, like what are, what are the ones that like, what's the one that comes to mind when I ask that, like for you, like the one that you feel like you inherited the most? I think worrier, like that you can no, have No, no, no. All- I mean like the belief. Sorry. Like, like I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. Okay. So for me, the most prevalent belief that I have was something that my stepmother used to say to me all the time, which is that we have plenty of problems, but money isn't one of them. Okay. And so uh, like that is, I literally heard that thousands of times in my life. We have plenty of problems, but money isn't one of them, especially after my family became a blended family. And we like, you know, after that happened when I was in my teens, which is so fascinating because in my brain, it got flipped to if you want, you know, like, like if you don't want plenty of problems, don't have money. Say that again. So the, the saying is we have plenty of problems, but money isn't one of them. Right. And so for me, I was like, well, I don't want plenty of problems. So I guess I won't have money. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Yeah. 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 And so that's what I was asking in terms of belief. Like if there was like a saying that you heard, like, like you were talking about. I think the saying would be everything can change in the blink right. of an eye because in, in, my grandma was a very big influence in my life. And, you know, she constantly would talk about how life, how life just changed on her so quickly. And I'll be driving my car and I'm like paranoid. I'll, I'll hit someone on the road and like, I'll lose everything. Yeah. Wow. So, so Ken Honda talks about making a family money tree. One thing that I think would be a really good idea to do if you want to be really systematic about tackling this money wound is there is a tool in Shakti Gaiwan's book called creative visualization, where you get a piece of paper and you write at the top and you say, the reason why dot, dot, dot is because of dot, dot, dot. And you could simply go through this systematically and say, the reason I am a saver is because, and then just, and then just let your hand run free and just see what comes up. You could put anything ridiculous. I have brown eyes. I, my dog died when I was four. My grandmother was rich. My grandfather was poor. Like you could, anything that comes out, you could just let that come out too. And also come to understand where your beliefs are. And here's the beautiful thing about beliefs. As Louise Hay has said a hundred times, everything comes down to a thought and a thought can be changed. Okay. So you can change your belief system very easily. And if you go back and listen to our trance, you take the Silva mind control class, you can learn very clearly how you can change your belief systems. Okay. So changing your beliefs has a lot to do with wealth. And Ken Honda says this so many times in the lecture, People think that once you get rich, you're going to have a wealthy mindset. It's not true. You have a wealthy mindset before you get rich. Okay. The the mindset doesn't come after the money. The money comes after the mindset. All right. So you have to change your beliefs to experience wealth. Yeah, that makes sense. You got to change the, the way the magnet's pulling. Yes. Before you attract whatever it pulls. All right. So here's another concept he talks about in the course. And I love it. It's arigato in and arigato out. You've never been to a Japanese restaurant and you walk in the door and they go, arigato. You know, I, I love it. I'm probably. Arigato gozaimasu. Yes. Yeah. And the idea is you want to. So Ken Honda says arigato literally means thank you. But on a deeper level, it means 
gratitude and presence. And so arigato in and arigato out, you have to bless money that comes in and money that goes out. Like he uses taxes, for example, like you have to pay your taxes no matter what. You might as well be grateful paying them. Like, why are you going to pay them begrudgingly? Why do you want begrudging, grudgy energy in your wallet, in your bank, in your life? Like, if you're going to have to pay it anyways, why not pay it with gratitude? Kiss that check. Arigato out. You know, anytime you're making a payment on something, arigato out. Anytime money comes in, arigato in. He And he talks a lot about how... This whole philosophy is how we should approach life that like not all gifts come in pretty wrapping paper. Some of our beautiful gifts don't show up in a beautiful way, right? But gratitude when it comes, gratitude when it goes. And so he says, apply this theory of gratitude. He His mentor was this man, Wahe, who was like the Jimmy Buffett of Japan, a very rich man. And he taught him this, arigato in, arigato out. He's like, what's the one thing, if you could only teach me one thing to be rich, what would it be? And he says, masu up, meaning bring, raise up your level of gratitude in all things. Awesome. Did you mean Warren Buffett? Warren Buffett, the rich guy, not Jimmy Buffett, the singer. Yeah, not Margaritaville. Sorry, you're right. Sorry. I literally just heard something about Jimmy Buffett. I was like, did I just like telepathically do something to her? It's like, I think she means Warren Buffett, but I just, yeah. <laughs> you wanted to imagine the guy from Japan, like, wasted. Hey, hey again. <laughs> so. Yeah, I love I love how he emphasizes arigato in, arigato out. And the course comes with a lot of hypnosis that you can listen to. And there's one that's really beautiful about just connecting with all of the world and arigato in, arigato out. And he says, one thing you could do as a good exercise is like force yourself that the next 10 times, if like make this a lifelong habit, but like at least in the next 10 times, do arigato in. Every time money comes in, arigato out. You know, you get some checks in the mail, arigato them. You you have to pay some bills in the mail, arigato those out. So, yeah. I like that. So, and then here's like, I was listening to this lecture when I was like doing errands, cleaning the house, whatever. So I kind of missed this. I misunderstood what he said, I think, but I still did it and I'm doing it and I love it. So I just kind of want to throw this practice in, which wasn't which was like a really good misunderstanding, I think, because I don't think he said this, but I, I started doing it, is you want to get 10% more out of life, give 10% more. Okay, I'll give you an example. I was, I go to this gym class that my friend Victoria teaches. It's really freaking hard. It's called high fitness. It's like this dance class. It's so hard. And it's 45 minutes long. And usually when we hit the 40 minutes, I'm like, I'm fucking done. And I'm just kind of like dry heaving in the corner, like waiting for the class to end. And I was like, okay, 10% of this class is four minutes and 50 seconds or something. I don't know, four minutes, let's say. So I was like, so I'm going to give four minutes more in this class. So when I hit 40 minutes, I was like, fuck it. I'm giving four minutes more. And then like when my kids came home from school, I'm like, I'm going to give them 10% more of my presence. And then like I bought a quiche and the crust is really like the unhealthy part. Well, maybe the whole thing is unhealthy, but the crust is definitely unhealthy. It's just but butter and flour. And I was like, I'm going to give this crust to my dog. <laughs> and I'm just trying to make small changes throughout my day of giving myself 10% more or giving the world 10% more. Like, like 
just, you know, giving my hundred and 10%. And, and anyways, it's a great way to help with this arigato in and out. Like if I can give 10% out, I can bring 10% more in. Right. Yeah. I like that. That's, that's beautiful. Okay. And I love it how you interpreted the crest as giving it to your dog, as opposed to, I need to make myself 10% more crest. (laughs) Oh no, it was, I'm getting rid of 10% of the quiche, which was like most of the crest kind of thing, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So then another thing Ken Hanna talks about, which I love is your money container. Like what is your container? Like, like, for example, let's say you're listening to this and you're a school teacher and your expenses and your income are perfectly aligned. You don't want a part-time job. You don't want a job in the summer. You don't want a side business. You don't need anything. Like you spend just enough to save just enough as your income. Like you don't need a bit, your your money container is the perfect size for your life. Like you don't need more, okay? That's like a great example. Let's say you have a big money container. Well, guess what? Your expenses might become bigger. Like that's another belief system I have that my father told me. The more money you make, the more money you spend, right? So you never really will feel rich if you're spending more when you're making more. So as people's money containers grow, their spending also grows. So, you know, open expanding your money container might not necessarily be what you want. You might not actually want more money. Think about that. So you might not even want more money because he he was telling us that there's these studies, like once you make more than 90,000 K, the difference in happiness from like someone who makes 90 K to hundred K to 110 K, like it's very little, right? The difference, the stepping difference and things like that. So making more money doesn't necessarily mean more happiness. So more happiness means being able to be as indifferent to money as possible by having your money container have no leaks and you know, living within your means essentially. Right. So you want to make sure there's no leaks in your money container, meaning there's, there's, you know, you don't have all these subscriptions to things you don't know about. And you're not spending money on these random things that you forget about. And you just, you know, your car keeps breaking down. You keep having to repair it to the point actually would be cheaper just to buy a new car, you know, or just other look at leaks in your money in your money container. And then also understand that for a lot of people, your money container won't grow unless you actually have a need for it to grow. So he gives an example of of someone who doesn't have a lot of motivation to grow their money container, but then they start, they want to start making meals for the homeless. So suddenly they have motivation to make their money container bigger and they start making more money. So sometimes like making your money container bigger needs to be, needs to be, have a, needs to begin with you having a need to make it bigger, right? Not just to have more money for the sake of having more money and to make your money container bigger, you often need to, to have multiple streams of income because let's say you only have one job with one salary and then you lose that job. Suddenly your money container is empty. So multiple streams of income is a way to make your money container bigger and like one issue that pe- the money maker money type comes into is they're constantly wanting to make their money container bigger when they don't even need to be. Okay, we all know that workaholic. You're like, you're really going to go work another X amount of hours this week or invest in yet one more project when you could be, you know, kicking the soccer ball with your kid, you know? Yeah. It's like yeah. Th- there's an addiction to making the money container bigger. So watch out for that or you won't be happy, right? Yeah. Interestingly, uh, sorry, can I just say something real quick? The, yeah. um, what's fascinating to me is that I used to always quote that same thing about like, once you get, but it, when I said it, 
which was probably five, when I started saying it about five years ago, it was $70,000 didn't make you any happier. And I feel like there's an acknowledgement in this thing is that like, you know, that number does keep going up for inflation and it's in dollars. And like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just like having a moment of like recognizing that this, we're talking about energetic money. And sometimes there are other situations. Like I am super happy about all the, the, the um, unions that are striking right now and they're actually getting better living wages. So maybe they can be closer to that $90,000. I just wanted to say that as like a little pop culture reference or not pop culture, but a culture <laughs> reference right now. Pop anyway. culture. Nice. Well, he does have you to do one exercise, which we, I can do to you, Christina. Let's have you close your eyes. And I want you to imagine now what, what the size of your money container is in your mind. If, if it's big or small, if it's a jug, if it's wet, if it's dry, if it's got a leak, if it's not just, I want you to personify what your money container looks like. Yep. And then what your expenses look like. Okay. Okay. And then I want you to imagine for a moment that your money container is twice as big. Okay. And your expenses stay the same. And how does that feel in you? Like, how do you feel? Do you like what emotions come up when your money container doubles? There is a desire to kind of fill it up more, but at the same time, it feels like I want to, it's hard to say. So the money, so my money container is based on how much money comes in and my expenses are what fills it. What, what, cause sorry, that was just like, like, let's let's say what drains it. Okay. Yeah. Oh no. I have a lot of leaks in my container at the moment, but imagine the container just got twice as big. I think it feels good that it felt twice as good, big. I think it does. It definitely feels better. It feels really good. I think that with the presence of the leaks in some ways, because I recognize that I have leaks in my system right now. Like I think that the presence of the leaks and something, it just like draws more attention to the fact that I really need to work on the leaks because even if it is twice as much, it still feels like it's leaking out. So like, that's one thing, the first thing that goes to my attention, but it does feel good. And it also feels like, I want to give other people part of my container. Okay. Now I want you to imagine that your expenses are twice as much and see how that feels while your container is twice as big. Feels a little silly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now go back to your original container size and your original expense size. Okay. Now imagine that your container is half the size. Oh, that, oh God. That makes me like nauseated. Okay. And now imagine that your expenses are half the size. Yeah. I've lived that life. I don't really want to go back there. Okay. So just playing with this, like just playing with imagining how you can open your eyes now playing with the different emotions that come up when your container expands and contracts is a great way to gauge, like, what are your feelings about it? You know, like some people might imagine it getting twice as big and a lot of anxiety and fear come you know, so, so then address those things, just address like how the different emotions that will come up based on if your container gets bigger and smaller. And another thing you can ask yourself is this question. If you were being totally, totally selfish, what would you do right now? Differently. Totally selfish with my money? Just in life, in life. So like, you know, he asked this question to someone and she said, I divorced my husband and they're, their jaw drop. She's like, Oh my God, I never in a million years would have ever said I would divorce my husband. But when you asked me if I was going to be totally selfish, what would it be? It was that, you know, 
And, 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 and so he says that by asking yourself the question, if you were totally, totally selfish, what would you be doing right now? That's going to also help reflect your relationship with money, or it's going to also reflect like your true need. So like she not might necessarily need to divorce her husband, but she has the need for freedom. You see, she has Uh, the need for autonomy or freedom. So it doesn't mean like, just because you answered the question, if I was totally selfish, what I do right now, oh, I'd quit my job and be an artist. Like it doesn't necessarily mean you need to quit your job and be an artist. It might mean you need an outlet for your creativity. Yeah. What came to mind was that I would just travel. I would take my whole family and we would just go and travel. Right. And so, and for me, it speaks to the need for freedom slash excitement, like just kind of like ingesting the world in a different way, changing up the location. Like that's what, that's what that strikes me as. Nice. So if I'm being honest, mine was to travel as well, but to go by myself. That, right. So a break is what you need, right? <laughs> or yeah. Or freedom, like total freedom, freedom from being caregiver even. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. It's funny you say that because the first thought I had was, yes, that was by myself because I just really enjoy that. But at the same time, but then it switched, it switched, like it, it like adjusted, like, so maybe first impulse was by myself. And then very close after that, I adjusted to everybody Mm -hmm. since I'm like trying to create that life for myself right now. So it like totally aligns with that. All right, we're going to do another exercise. And then if you're listening to this podcast and you're driving or working, you might want to put it on pause or or memorize the timestamp and come back to this later and do it. But for those of you who are in a soft position or a, a safe position, you might want to close your eyes. And I want you for a moment to imagine something that is inevitable. Like you are going to take a breath in the next minute. The sun will rise tomorrow you, you know, something that, you know, is a hundred percent going to happen. 99.999% likely going to happen. Like, and where do you feel it in your body? It might be in your body, might be outside your body, but with your hands, I want you to kind of show me or just do it yourself where it is the thing that is inevitably definitely going to happen. Okay. So Christina's pointing to around her face. I did around my throat. You're going to do it wherever there's no right or wrong. Okay. Now, I want you to think about something that is pretty damn impossible. Like, for example, little green Martian men are going to ring your doorbell in a minute, or you're going to order a pizza and they're going to deliver a shoe, or just something impossible, near near impossible, 99.9% likely to not happen. And I want you to show me in space, where is that? Kind of over to my right like my whole body starts to tilt okay all right all right now so you listener know where yours is in space again there's no right or wrong answer so you've got your your inevitable and then you've got your near impossible and then I want you to think about something that's possible for example maybe you do order pizza tomorrow night you know maybe you do get a letter in the mail from your cousin Mm mm-hmm I want you to think about something that, that is, that could happen, could not happen. It's kind of 50, 50. It's neither inevitable nor impossible. And I want you to tell me where in your body that is or outside your body on my left side. Okay. Now, what I want you to do is think about a money goal that you might have. Mm -hmm. 
and tell me which, where is it? Is it, is that goal? Do you, when you feel that goal, is it in the inevitable and in the, or in the possible or in the impossible? I feel it partially here, but mostly here. Mostly okay. like up at my face and on my so so side. she's seeing it in her inevitable. Okay, I want you to think of a more lofty goal, a more impossible goal for this exercise. Okay, okay. you have one. Yes. Okay, it's in the impossible area. It's over there in your oh, right yeah. side. It's on the okay. right side. Yeah. I want you with your hands to go cup it, and I want you to drag it to the area of possibilities, and holding it there, I want you to breathe few times and really sink into how it feels for it to be a possibility and give me a thumbs up when when you feel like yeah I can see how this could be a possibility okay she's giving me a thumbs up now I want you to wrap your hands around it again in the possibility area and bring it up to your inevitable area and hold that there breathe through it a few times and feel how it would feel if it was inevitable this is very NLP. And then give me a thumbs up, Christina, when you feel like, yeah, this could be, okay, open your eyes. So that's a very cool exercise. Yeah. He says, you don't really ever want to drag anything from the impossible straight into the inevitable. You always want to move from impossible to possible and then from possible to inevitable. But that's a way that you can challenge your beliefs about what you can and can't do. Awesome. Okay. That's really cool. I like that. All right. Now, the way that he ends the course is saying that the best way to make more money is to do what you love. It doesn't matter if you are a chef, if you love cleaning houses, if you love writing books, the people who make the most money, they did a study, they looked at a thousand millionaires to see like what were the commonalities. And the most thing that they all had in common was they were doing the things that they love to do. Okay. So what are the, huh? I said, yay. Yes. So, so then this is coming from a different book called your sacred wealth code by Premily Guerreri. And she says that to know what is the best, like your wealth code, what is the best quote unquote job for you would be looking at four different things, purpose, passion, high value gifts, and challenges. So purpose would be, what is your soul's big why? Passion would be what fulfills you, you know, what's the gas that powers your engine and then high value gifts are like, what are you really good at doing that are, that you do better than others? What do people come to you for? Do they come to you for love advice? Do they come to you for psychic readings? Do they come to you to ask you how to fix their thermostat or their car or, you know, how to organize your house? Like what do people see? What you think you might be good at something, but other people are really a better judge in a lot of ways. So like, what are people seeking you out for? So that's a really good idea of like, what's your high value gift? And then the fourth one being challenge. Like what are the things, what are some challenges that come up in your life again and again? Because the universe is constantly teaching you and it teaches you best through challenges. So some of the biggest challenges in your life might be revealing your deepest purpose. And with all that said, we conclude Money Wound Part 3. Wow. Wow. 
I have I have a lot to digest. I feel like we might have a money room point for some time in the series if we have like okay. a follow up on a short or something. I was like thinking that. Yeah. I was thinking that you and I should go through and do the IFS and yeah. the feed your demon work and the family belief tree and all this stuff systematically, yeah. and then talk about all this again in six months. Do a money wound part four and just see where we are. Yes. No, that's a really good idea. I love that. I love this. Thank you, Anna. Well, and if you want to learn more, check out our show notes for different things that I referenced. And if you have the means to do it, I would totally take Ken Honda's EQ course from Valley. The hypnosis that go with the content are just awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of this spiritual fix. You can find the 10 step protocol for healing your money wound in this week's show notes. It's super handy and we really recommend it. Thanks for listening, y'all. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.